0: This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement 2016, coming to Chicago in July. Stick around for more information on how you can be a part of Podcast Movement 2016.
1: What's a podcast again? A podcast is, uh, uh, you
2: talk. Is this thing on?
1: Podcast.
2: here you are in an industry that affords you that opportunity anytime you want it and you're not taking advantage of it. And my response to that is shame on you, frankly. Shame on you.
1: You're listening to the Podcast Movement Sessions. I'm Brian Orr. This episode of Podcast Movement Sessions centers around a talk that Jeff Brown gave in 2014. It was one that I actually was there in the audience and it impacted me greatly. But before we get started, I wanted to talk to Podcast Movement co-founder Jared Easley about the mass entry of radio people into podcasting. I mean, obviously, it's the same thing. We're talking into mics, right? And what effect that has on podcasting in general.
0: When I first started podcasting, it was literally just me on the mic, no extensive training, and my thought was, I'm just going to speak from the heart and I'm going to share what's on my mind. And while I think that was good enough to get started, I'm sure I left out a lot of gaps in terms of being considerate toward the people that are listening. And, you know, I've noticed how some people who come into podcasting with that broadcast background and that training and stuff, they, they have some tricks. They got some uh, some tips that they can share with other podcasters that are really valuable on how to, you know, be more considerate toward your audience. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I see both sides of the coin. And one side, I can see the benefit of the freedom where you don't have to be stuck with a radio clock and with the conventions of radio. But on the other hand, I see the unprofessionalism that can go on with people who are really amateurs, you know, people like me who just turned on a mic one day and started talking. I really appreciate both people like Jeff Brown, but then also guys like Sereni Rao, whose session was actually right after Jeff's, who essentially said, turn on the mic and be curious. I see both the benefit of the curiosity of a guy like Srini as well as the radio prowess of a guy like Jeff Brown.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Srini because I I really enjoy listening to Srini, but I also really enjoy listening to Jeff, and I think there's a lot to learn from both. Some of the most common questions that
1: podcasters ask each other online and in person, other than monetization and download numbers, are questions about how they edit and interview specifically how much time they spend researching their guests and how much time they spend editing each episode. I had listened to Jeff Brown on his Read to Lead podcast for several months leading up to Podcast Movement 2014.
2: Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, host of the Read to Lead podcast and podcast mentor and coach. Jeff is an experienced radio broadcaster, which isn't
1: hard to pick up if you listen to his melodious voice for any amount of time. I got up to Jeff and asked him about being a radio man in a podcaster's world. There's so many obvious advantages to having a radio background, but are there any disadvantages that you've had to overcome?
2: One that I expected to have actually hasn't come true. When I began sort of venturing out into teaching some of what I teach and talking about interviewing skills and creating courses and doing coaching, I expected to get some resistance from those in the podcast world along the lines of Oh, here comes that guy who thinks he knows how to do everything. And he's coming from that washed up medium called radio. And and this is podcasting. And he doesn't understand this is not the same animal. Uh, But I haven't received any of that kind of response. If if anybody thinks that about me, they've never voiced it. The reception I've received from podcasters overwhelmingly has been positive and encouraging. And I've very much appreciated that. In podcasting, we're just really good at not revealing
1: our, our feelings about radio people. <laughs> so when I first met you, I just had to bite my tongue and not mention this <laughs> stuck-up radio guy. I thinks he knows everything. I'm going to tell us. It. <laughs> <laughs> so I get the feeling, based on your talk and also some
2: conversation that we've had, that uh, guest research is important to you. We oftentimes have this sort of idea that well, I can come into this and like my listener, I can come into this knowing as, you know very little about this person and I'll just ask questions that come to me as we go and I'll just come with a curious mind and, and, and those things are all well and good uh, and, and may actually work uh, from time to time. But if you want to create consistently interviews that people are going to find compelling and engaging, that's not how it's going to happen. A lot of times I feel like podcasters kind of have it backwards in the sense that when you look at professional athletes, professional athletes put a lot of time into preparation and and into practice. My recommendation then is to at least put in twice as much time, two times the amount of time spent in researching a guest and an interview than the actual interview itself. One of the things that I do because of the nature of Of the kind of show I do, where I'm interviewing authors, you know that often involves, or actually every time I should say involves, reading their latest book prior to that interview. And so for me, it actually is almost a ninety percent to ten (laughs) percent ratio. It's, you know, I spend, I, I can spend, you know, six to nine hours getting ready for an interview that's only going to last forty five minutes. In part because I'm putting several hours into reading the book that I'm going to be asking them about. And so if you're not putting at least twice as much time into prep as you are into the actual interview, then you're probably not doing as strong of interviews uh, as you could be. You actually just made a really good point. I'm definitely not going
1: to interview authors because I don't want to read these long books unless maybe I'm interviewing like comic book authors. That might work. (laughs) 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 Now, prepping for a guest is one thing. However, there's a much bigger and scarier question at hand. Do you enter an interview with no notes, take it wherever it goes? Do you bring bullet points or do you (gasps) write down the entire questions verbatim? Jeff gives us the rundown on his process in his PM 14 talk.
2: I think every interview has to have a destination. There has to be a place you're going, a place that you want to take your listener ultimately. And to get there, you have to have a roadmap and in writing your questions out in advance Knowing exactly what you're going to ask is your way of doing that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't take a left turn. doesn't mean you can't take a right turn. It doesn't mean you can't go somewhere you hadn't planned. But again, writing them out in advance frees you up to listen truly to what they're saying.
1: How do you suggest that podcasters make their questions more concise? What's the process?
2: Well, uh, the first step in that process is, is writing them out in advance. A lot of folks don't want to do that because they say, well, I don't want to sound like I'm reading a question or I don't want to sound like to my listener and to my guest, I'm just going through a list of questions. And there's this idea of wanting to make sure that what you do at the end of the day comes off sounding conversational. If you've done your research, if you've come up with great thought provoking, compelling questions, I argue that the absolute best thing you can do is just ask the next concise question. Your listener will thank you for it and your guest will appreciate it as well because you're making the best use of their time. You might be thinking, well, how do you not sound like you're reading it? How do you not sound like You're just going down a list of questions. Number one is I don't concern myself with that because, again, if I'm doing my homework prior to the interview, the listener is not going to care. All the listener cares about is are you asking amazing, fantastically researched questions? And if you are, who cares how you sound delivering them at the end of the day? However, if you can practice, in other words, sit down an hour before the interview, and this is part of that whole 90 percent, 10 percent ratio I talked about a moment ago. I will sit down an hour before I'm going to do an interview and I will read out loud the questions that I intend to ask. Sometimes questions that I wrote two or three days before. And as I read them out loud, I ask myself, "Okay, does this still resonate? Does the way I've written it still flow? Have I left out punctuation here or there? Is there a typo? Whatever it might be. And I practice saying those out loud with my headphones on, with my microphone turned on, with my mixer on with the questions in front of me in Google Docs, exactly the same scenario I'm going to be sitting in when I do the interview, minus the guest. I can't count the number of times I've done bits on the air over the years that I would have loved to do again, to do over. But I didn't have that opportunity. And here you are in an industry that affords you that opportunity any time you want it, and you're not taking advantage of it. Some of you. I don't mean you specifically, but some of you. And my response to that is shame on you, frankly. Shame on you that you're not taking advantage of that opportunity. Now, I'm not saying that your podcast has to be perfect. I'm not saying that at all. If you've not launched, don't let anything I'm saying or anybody else saying this weekend prevent you from launching. Put it out there, whether it's, you know, regardless of what you think of of its readiness. Don't wait. Seth Godin said once, you know, if you look back on something you shipped or launched, and you're not embarrassed by it, you probably waited too late to ship. I agree with that completely. But once you get it out there, I believe you should be working to make each episode better than the last one, make each interview better than the last one. The way you do that is with research, prep, planning, in the moment moments, post-production editing. That's how you get there. That's But only with that kind of of an approach Do you have any chance of making the next one better than the last one? And that, to me, ought to be your goal if you want to do this long term. Chicago.
1: The food there is incredible. I'm not really sure what it is, but, like, It's really good. I was just there a month or two ago for the first time, and I was really impressed. I thought it was all hype, but it turned out not to be. Speaking of Chicago, we're going to be there in July 2016 for Podcast Movement, and we're going to be there with 100 amazing speakers, headlined currently by Anna Sale of Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. We're going to have a lot more announcements coming up soon about who's going to be there, so you're not going to want to miss it. prices are not going to go down. They're only going to go up. That's how that works, right? So go to podcastmovement.com. And if you know anybody who would like podcast movement tickets as a gift, maybe think about that, you know, special podcaster in your life, that kind of thing. Watch out on podcastmovement.com for new announcements, get your tickets, and you can follow podcast movement by going to at podcastmovement on Twitter. And the Facebook group is also a great place to follow what's going on and all the new speaker announcements. All right, let's get back to Jeff. You know, in podcasting, we really are lucky. We have a liberty that live broadcasters can only dream of, the liberty to edit. A podcaster can easily edit a weak or inappropriate on-air moment in post-production and make it right. But for a live radio guy like Jeff, the lack of this liberty can sometimes lead to consequences.
2: My first ever job in radio lasted nine months, and it ended when it ended because I did something really stupid on the air. The station I was working at was a big station in a small market, a fifty thousand watt FM station in in a town called Muncie, Indiana. And high school basketball was big in that town. And the town's basketball team, uh, this particular weekend was, I think, in the semifinals. The entire Saturday afternoon and, and evening was spent analyzing the game, talking about the game, uh, airing the game. It was all, you know, sport, 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 sports, 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 sports. And my show at that time came on at midnight, and it was sort of this all-request, rock-all-night type show on this, what was a, a top 40 station generally. At midnight, we pulled out all the stops, and we played you know whatever got requested, and I was the host of that show. And so all of this coverage went right up to midnight, right before my show started, and then there was just a one-minute commercial in between all of this ending and my show beginning. And I managed to start off my show by saying something like, naively, did somebody just say something about basketball? And then making a puking sound into the mic as as if if to suggest, boy, I'm glad all this junk is behind us. Let's get to the good stuff now, i.e. the music, i.e. my show. And suffice it to say that the sports director and a whole lot of sponsors of this afternoon and evening we're not real happy about that. The following Friday on April Fool's Day, I was called into the office to meet with the general management program director and I was uh, I was fired. And I actually this is how naive I was. I was 21 years old at the time, I think, 22. Because of the date, I looked at them and said, oh, this is a joke, isn't it? This is the, you're not serious. And they looked at each other. What they were thinking was either, oh, my gosh, we didn't think about the about what day it was. Or they were thinking, gosh, this guy is really stupid, and boy, are we making the right decision right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was uh, the beginning and end of of my first job in radio lasted nine months and thought my radio career was over uh, less than a year into it. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't, but uh, uh, suffice it to say I learned my lesson. Yeah, I, uh, I, I met my demise. <laughs> well, and in this, in this uh, illustrates – the beauty of podcasting, because
1: in, uh, in, in a podcast, you could have edited that all out and uh, maybe would still be <laughs> rocking out in Muncie, Indiana today, Jeff, and wouldn't we all be glad for that?
2: <laughs> One of the best ways to create forward momentum in your podcast is taking those parts of the conversation out that don't end up going anywhere. Maybe that left turn you took that was okay to take, that was unplanned, maybe that didn't end up going anywhere. Well, don't leave that in there. I'm not just talking about ahs and ums, the rabbit trails that don't amount to anything. The conversation always has to be moving forward. And if there's something in there that stalls it, take that out, don't leave that in there. Now, your listener is not sitting there going, well, Jeff, I noticed your episode today was 35 minutes. And there was about 12 minutes by my calculation that could have been removed. So why wasn't this a 23-minute interview? Your listener is not thinking that, of course. But over time, subconsciously, your listener recognizes when your episodes, show after show after show, aren't as tight as they can be. And that results in listener fatigue. I've seen it in radio again and it happens to me when I listen to some podcasts. There's some that I listened to early on that I don't listen to anymore because fatigue set in and there are too many moments of wasted time. Somebody's time was more important than mine.
1: One of the single weirdest and most difficult concepts for me to get in podcasting is the idea of in the moment moments which means that you're recognizing that the listener is hearing this in a
2: moment that's different than the moment that you're in right now. The way I conduct my interviews is I pretend. There's, there's a little bit of a, of a performance side to this, or theatrics, if you will. To me, it's, it's, it's sitting at a table across from a guest... Uh, and that's as far as most interviewers go with it. It's it's me and the guest. We're sitting around a table at a coffee shop and we're having this intimate conversation. And you, listener, you get to be an eavesdropping, fly on the wall of that conversation. You're welcome. Aren't I awesome because I'm presenting you with that opportunity. And and I suggest that that you actually have the ability to go further than that. You don't have to relegate the listener to eavesdropping fly on the wall status. I conduct my interviews and pretend the whole time that the listener is sitting right next to me and the two of us are across from the guest. And so that's the metaphor I try to, to create or, or the moment I try to create. And, and that's created by my occasionally referring to the listener as if they're sitting right next to me. And so that means not using phrases like, for those of you listening right now, blah, blah, and whatever it is I'm going to say, or if you're listening right now and my bone of contention with that is always, well, isn't everybody listening? I mean, they're hearing you, so they, they're listening. We've established that. And let's not put everybody, let's not make everybody part of this faceless collective called those of you listening. Let's, let's talk to the listener like it's one person. And so that means leveraging second person you and your regularly. And then also occasionally doing something that freaks most people out, referring to your guest in the third person you want a real obvious way to talk just to your listener, refer to the guest in the third person. Now that's going to feel weird the first hundred times you do it because you understand and your guest understands that the only two people here right now are you and them. And so you might be thinking, well, is my guest going to think I'm strange? Are they going to think I'm weird? I don't care what my guest thinks, frankly. I do it anyway. And and most guests are smart enough to figure out what it is he's doing when he's doing it and so that just simply means occasionally referring to my listener using you and your and guest in the third person and also when talking to my guest and wanting to provoke them to share you know their expertise with the listener it's not just the listener in other words i don't present myself as having everything figured out But I'm here to facilitate this conversation so you, Mr. or Mrs. Guest, can share your knowledge with my listener who doesn't know this information. That's not how I approach it. It's always Mr. or Mrs. Guest, help us understand this concept. I put myself in the shoes of the listener. I put myself on their side of the table. I remind them through very subtle ways that they are not alone. And that means using pronouns like we and us. An hour, so that might be Mr. or Mrs. Guest. Most of us struggle with X, Y, and Z. We can't get our head wrapped around such and such. Help us with our problem, and so it's not just the listener who needs to understand this. It's me and them, and and all of those things. We, us, and our guest in the third person, you and your, to talk directly to your listener, one person. Not everybody, it's one person. All those things go together to help create what I call those in the moment moments. So the entirety of the interview, even though it's been recorded, it's treated as if it's happening right now. Now, another aspect of that is in, in the show specific, episode specific intro, that means not referring to the interview to come as something that's already happened which virtually everyone I I hear do interviews does. They spend their intro talking about this thing they did last week, this person they talked to the other day, and what a great time they had and what great information they shared. And in a moment, you're going to get to hear it too. I've already experienced it, but you haven't. Oh, by the way, here it is. I'll see you in 20 minutes. And it's the equivalent of walking away and leaving the room, and your listener is left with this version of you, (laughs) a different one than, than the one that was there a moment ago. Uh, It's like a recording inside a recording. Well, to all of you listeners out there who have been able to be a fly
1: on the wall at this conversation that Jeff and I had two weeks ago, I hope you appreciated this recording that we did far in the past.
2: What I want you to do if you have trouble figuring out or wrapping your head around, well, what phrases, what words do I use? How How do I in the moment remember to talk to one person? How do I remember in the moment to talk to my listener. Take this avatar you've created and find a picture on the internet that represents that person or out of a magazine that represents a person. Tear it out and put it in front of you. And while you're doing your interview or while you're doing your intro or your outro, glance occasionally at that picture as a way to remind you that's who you're talking to and pretend they're right there with you in the room and say the words you would say if they were. And if you just do that, it'll always come out right and in the most personal and most intimate way.
1: Who is your avatar?
2: Does he or she have a name? Yeah, my avatar is Joshua. He's 38. Uh, he has a middle management position, worked his way up uh, over the years in that company, but is a little dissatisfied with where he's at personally and professionally. And it maybe feels like he's hit a bit of a career ceiling. And wants to improve himself, is all about uh, personal development, and believes that reading business books uh, specifically uh, is, a, is a great step in that direction. Not only to make himself a more valuable employee, assuming he stays where he's at and, and, and maybe continues to move up the ranks, but, but also maybe in the back of his mind helps him be better prepared for that day when he might venture out on his own and start his own company or do his own thing. And so for me, and for many of my clients, understanding who your ideal listener is, is sometimes as simple as looking in the mirror and then turning the clock back 10 years. Jeff goes on
1: to wrap it all up with a quote from the great philosopher Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society.
2: So avoid using the word very, because it's lazy. A man is not very tired. He's, and one of the boys shouts out, exhausted. He says, don't use very sad, use, and another boy shouts out, morose. He goes on to say, language was invented for one reason, boys. My apologies to the ladies. To woo women. And in that endeavor, laziness will not do. Your listener wants to be wooed. And in that endeavor, laziness will not do. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) Jeff Brown is a podcasting and speaking coach, and you can find out more about Jeff and everything that he's up to by going to -to readtoleadpodcast.com. Big, warm, special thank you to Jared Easley, Dan Franks, Nick Loper, Tasha Alani, Michelle Talbert, and especially Jeff Brown for helping with the production of this episode. You can go find out more about Podcast Movement 2016 by going to podcastmovement.com. And if you haven't made your plans to join us in Chicago, why not? It's going to be a blast. See you there.